Church, today we are on part three of our series, Head, Shoulders, Knees, and Toes. So today we're going to be talking about knees. How many of you still have your originals? <laughs> be honest. All right. <laughs> let's, uh, let's pray together. Gracious God, we thank you for this good opportunity. Help us do something good with it. In your name we pray. Amen. So in the spring of 1980, a singer named Mac Davis released a song that almost instantly became an international success. The song is called, It is Hard to Be Humble, and I have asked Pastor Sung, <laughs> I have asked Pastor Sung to sing the chorus of it for you. Take it away, Pastor Sung. Oh Lord, it's hard to be humble When you're perfect in every way I can't wait to look in the mirror Cause I get better looking each day To know me is to love me I must be a hell of a man Oh Lord, it's hard to be humble But I'm doing the best that I can Every day doing the best that he can <laughs> So as I said, today we are on part three of Head, Shoulders, Knees, and Toes Which is a series about what it means to have a whole body faith. We're going to be talking about the knees, particularly the idea that one day every knee will bow before God. And that's why it makes sense then for us to talk about humility, how, we, how it is that we humble ourselves before the Lord and before each other. If you've ever had a knee blow out or you have found yourself with bad knees, you know that that can be a very humbling experience. And that's why the general wisdom is that we have to be kind to our knees because we're going to miss them one day. Humility is the ability to have a modest view of one's own importance. That doesn't sound like such a hard thing, but for most of us, it really, really is. Because we want to see ourselves as important, as, as vital to the overall scheme of things. We want people to respect us, to respect our opinions. We have some need to be needed and recognized and, and valued. Years ago, a friend of mine was telling us the story of being at a really large conference with this supposedly amazing keynote speaker. And people had come in from all over the world just, just to hear this man speak. About five minutes before the event was to start, my friend had ducked into the men's room, and after he washed his hands, he noticed that the trash can was overflowing. I, have, has that ever happened to you? You go into a public restroom, trash cans overflowing, and then, you know, you kind of do have to make a judgment call in that moment, and my friend confessed that he was just about to add his paper towel to the floor when he saw this other man picking up all the paper towels and shoving them as hard as he could into the trash can. Ten minutes later, he saw that exact same man. He was the keynote speaker. 
standing on this enormous stage in front of this overflowing crowd. And it turns out that this keynote speaker was actually Pastor Sung's uncle. And the only reason that we ever heard this story is because our friend told us, not because Uncle Sigmund ever once mentioned it. That just isn't who he was, and he probably didn't think twice about it. I would like to think that all of us, every one of us in this room, has a story of, of selfless service, of a quiet act of kindness and generosity that the world may never know about, but that's no less important because it made a difference in the world and it made a difference to somebody else. The flip side of that, though, is that there are individuals and there are organizations who want to make sure that you are well aware of their generosity and their service. If you walk around this campus, you're going to find that there is only one sign, one sign across the whole of this church campus that indicates the name of a person. And that sign is for the building that you're in right now. It's called Frangel Hall. Frangel Hall was named after our founding pastor, Robert Frangel. And the name came after he was our founding pastor and had long retired. Now, I understand that naming buildings and rooms and libraries and schools and whole universities after wealthy donors is a lucrative fundraising plan. I get that. And in many ways, it makes such a great deal of fiscal sense. But we don't do that in this church. And I'm grateful for that for a couple of reasons. First of all, it reminds us that this church is about Jesus. If there is going to be a name that's going to stand out over every other name, let it be the name of Jesus. Second, it reminds us, it reminds us of our dependence on God. When an organization is dependent on a couple of wealthy donors, it can be very hard to pursue God's vision while trying to also keep them happy. And third, by not constantly publicly celebrating large givers, we attract and keep members who are already seeking to be humble because when they give, they do so understanding that that gift does not include their name being painted across every part of the church. But it's important for all of us to remember that humility is an equal opportunity endeavor. It is not just the challenge of the wealthy. Paul hits this point really hard in Romans 14. We do not live to ourselves, and we do not die to ourselves. So if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or we die, we are the Lord's. For, for to this end, Christ died and lived again, so that he might be Lord of both the dead and the living. When we make the decision to follow Christ, it's really a decision about who's going to be in charge. Who's in charge of our lives? If Jesus is in charge, then we need to live our lives in a way that demonstrates that reality. I grew up in a half-Italian family, so I'm pretty sure that I watched the Godfather movies far, far, far too young. But as long as I can remember, it was ingrained in me that when I went out to the world, I was a representative of the Italiano name and that there were responsibilities that came with that. 
Namely, that I would not be the cause of our name being put in the newspaper under the crime section or in any other way bringing embarrassment to the family name. Well, when you make the decision to follow Christ, you take on the responsibility of demonstrating the Christ name out into the world. So what do we want the world to know about Jesus? The most important thing is that he loved us so much, so much that he gave up his life for ours. He thought of us first. So if we follow him, if we're going to take his name out into the world, we want to be thinking of others first. And there's two ways that we do that. We do that through service and we do that through relationship. The service part, that's, that's the easier one to grasp. That's holding doors for people, returning your grocery cart to the corral, not leaving it right there in the middle of the parking space, um, letting someone go ahead of you, giving up a sandwich so that somebody else can eat. The possibilities for service are endless. Now, relationship is a little bit more challenging when it comes to humility because relationship is ongoing. And the more time that you spend with someone, the greater the possibility is that there could be some friction between the two of you, that there might be some differences of opinions. When I hold the door open for somebody at the library, I don't know if, if they stole money from somebody, if they're a Republican or a Democrat, if they're a vegan or if they eat meat. I have no idea. But when we, were, when we are in a relationship with others, we start to learn these things. And that's when humility has to rise to a whole new level. Paul writes, why do you pass judgment on your brother or sister? Or why do you despise your brother or sister? Paul is addressing those who call themselves believers. So this is, this is an, an address to the church, to us, which means that there must have been an issue within the body of Christ where people were taking sides. Can you, can you imagine that? People taking sides in the church? What kind of things would people disagree about in, in the church? Well, music. Music is a really good one because some of us prefer contemporary and some traditional and some gospel. Theology, did Jesus die for some or for all? Are women allowed to speak in church? Can infants be baptized as well as adults? And then, for some strange reason, in the church, people talk about politics. So, do you love President Trump? Did you love President Obama? Where do you stand on the whole legalization of marijuana business? There's a million different ways that we can divide ourselves up and go in different directions. And the more time we spend around each other, the more we discover that we don't all have the same opinion about everything. In all of these cases, and far many more, it's so easy to decide that your answer, your answer is the only conceivably correct answer. Even on issues that, that seem so clearly cut and dry, black and white, that it is not possible for you to consider that maybe, just maybe, someone might view this a little bit differently, or God forbid that you would be wrong. But it happens. 
It happens. And we do judge others when we say things like, that's not real worship, or they're not a real Christian, or as some members of our church have been on the receiving end, oh, you, you go to that church with the female pastor and her oriental husband. That's, that's so nice for you. <laughs> you know they're judging you, right? They've passed judgment on you. But do you see how easy it is for us to just throw humility right out the window when we are so sure and we're so certain of who we are and how important we are and how essential we are to the world with our opinion? And so Paul is simply asking us, throwing us a speed bump, if you will, to think about why, why is it that we judge others? What do we have to gain from doing that? Because as Paul writes, for we will all, all of us, stand before the judgment seat of God, for it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall give praise to God. So then each of us will be accountable to God. And that, what that means is that one day, one day the judgment is coming for all of us. And that means that each one of us will be accountable. And here's the crazy part about this. The only person that you are going to be accountable for is you. You're the only one that you are responsible for. So I want you to think about that for a second. Imagine that day when you are standing before the Lord. Do you really, really think that the God of all creation, who sent his only son to die for your sins, is going to start off with, so, so tell me, did you vote for Clinton or for Bush? Do you really think that's going to be the, the question? That seems like an insane question coming from, from the God who is above heaven and earth, whose son is the king of kings, one has to wonder if how you voted in any single election really is going to be the deciding factor for your salvation because there is nowhere in the Bible that we're going to be able to prove that. It's not going to happen. I would think that on that day, when you are standing before the Lord, that he is going to be more interested in the question like this. Tell me, did you love your neighbor did you love your neighbor? And it seems like that would be a really easy question to answer. Yes, I, I love my neighbor. But, but what, if, um, what if it's your neighbor who supports building the wall? Did you, did you love that neighbor? Or, or how about the neighbor that insists on bringing all vegetarian dishes to the annual 4th of July barbecue each year? Did, did you love that, that neighbor? Or, or what about the one whose daughter came out and brought her girlfriend home and they didn't immediately kick her out of the house? Did you, did you love that neighbor? See, that's, that's the question. The question is not, did you agree with your neighbor? Do you condone everything that your neighbor did? No, the question is, did you love your neighbor? And, and given that God is so interested in love, that should be a primary interest 
to those who follow him. But see, the thing about love is that love is a humble thing because it puts other people first, whereas judgment allows us to think of ourselves and our opinions and our preferences and most especially our righteousness. Judgment on earth is is really all about us. But Paul is warning us that there's coming a day when every knee will bow. Not just some, every knee will bow before God. Can you just imagine kneeling one day before the throne of grace? There you are. You are kneeling before the Lord. You are in the presence of Jesus Christ. And you look up at him in all of his glory. And you say to him, excuse me, Savior, but this is not how we do it in my church. Can you imagine doing that? Truly in the end. When you consider how much your opinion, your preference, your self-righteousness is really going to matter, the more you think about it, the more humbling it's going to become. In fact, it will be so humbling that it will bring you to your knees. Let's pray together. Lord God, all of us, Every single one of us confesses that there have been moments where we have been so certain, so sure of what we believe about everything under the sun that we have judged others. We have forgotten that that judgment alone is reserved for you, that your son is the prince of peace and the giver of grace. It is not up to us. It is not up to us to have the world agree with everything that we believe. So Lord, give us an extra dose of mercy. Give us your grace so that we can give it to others. In your name we pray. Amen.